Uh, we are in part 16 of our series through the book of 1 Corinthians that we entitled Practical Faithfulness. So really the idea throughout this series is not just to gain the knowledge, but to do something with it, to live differently because of it, to alter our lives in light of it, things like that. Entitled this morning's message, Faithful to Holiness. And I want to begin with some Old Testament passages that I'm going to read a little bit slower that you might just kind of soak in and consider the weight. The first one comes from Malachi. And he said this, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because Yahweh was a witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Context. Ancient Israel. And in ancient Israel, God had shut them down, blocked them. Would not hear their prayers, would not receive their offering. Make it personal. All your prayers are blocked. Every time you pray, it feels like it goes no further than the ceiling. You cry out, you seek for God's movement in your life, and there is nothing but stone-cold silence. And God communicates to you that it's not your imagination. He shut you down. There's nothing that you can do to change that. Unless you hear his words deeply. Why have you blocked me? God, why do you not receive from me? We're doing all these, these actions. We are here. We are crying. We are weeping. We know we cannot live without you. We cannot be sustained without your presence. God, why are you shutting us down? God said, I'll tell you exactly why. Because I was there at your wedding. And you prayed... That I would fuse you together. And you're treating your wife like garbage. You think that I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to honor you? That you're going to try to act to me one way and you're going to act towards her another way? That's not going to happen. I will cut you off. Wow. The second passage that we're going to read is probably far more familiar. You could probably finish the line when I get going here, it's, it's out of Isaiah. And the Lord said, this people, they draw near with their mouth. They honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Part of the problem that I have, that Jake has, our worship leader, is that we have no idea what's going on in your hearts. Um, what you do externally, what we see, um, we judge. Uh, maybe Jake can get everyone worshiping God, literally everyone standing and, and their arms extended out towards heaven. And indeed, we can tell, we, we, we can tell by good people reading, you're all in. I mean, your, your, your heart is there and, and you're singing out loud. But what we do not know is that when you leave this place, do you become a monster? We don't know. 
We don't follow you home. The very definition of integrity means consistent throughout. And if you don't act the same here as you do at home, if you act differently in a small group than you do at home, something has to change. Either way. You say, what do you mean either way? I mean this. I mean, if at home you're a jerk and you're super nice guy at small group, start acting the same. In small group, in church, start acting like you do at home. Why? Because I will rebuke you. Start acting here like you do with your children. Start acting here like you do with your husband. Start acting here like you do with your wife. Why? Because you're going to get really uncomfortable really fast. And it will shape you. But if we pretend, if we live two different lives, nothing's going to change. Now, of course, I would love for it to go the other direction, right? That you would act at home like you do in small group. Like you would act at home like you do at church. Because quite frankly, the, the way it appears to us here on stage is that you're sweet and loving and kind and your heart's towards Jesus and you're soft and you're listening and your heart is open to his word. This is what we see. Is that who you are? I don't know. The fill in the blank in front of you on your sheet is this. The attitudes of our hearts proclaim our true worship the attitude of our hearts proclaim true worship it is, it is not even though external matters even though god will judge external even though uh, all the i'm going to talk all morning about the idea of external behavior on how we treat people even though all that is incredibly significant understand even if you do nice things on the outside ultimately is your heart that proclaims worship to God. And if your outsides are shiny and your heart is black, there is no worship rising to Jesus. If you haven't already, turn with me to 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. 17. Um, I have found that this is my third service that I am preaching through this passage, and I have an absolute inability to end on time. For whatever reason, I can't seem to get through this passage very fast. So we're going to try again. Here we go. Chapter 11, verse 17. But in the following instructions, Paul says, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better. It's for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? What, you don't have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I shall not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant 
in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, as often as you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I'll give directions when I come. We're talking this morning, obviously, about communion, right? The Lord's Supper, whatever tradition you came from, maybe you came from a Catholic background, Eucharist. Eucharist means giving thanks. The Lord's Supper is the idea of being around a table. Communion means connection, community, being with, that kind of stuff. Uh, We are not taking it today because we're going to talk about it, analyze it, examine it, so that next time we have it, and here at Bridgeway, we do it the first full weekend of every month. Consistent enough that we honor the Lord, but not every time so that we would kind of ignore it and just go through the motions. That's why we opted for that. And next time we come together and do it, I can guarantee you, you're going to do it with a slightly different attitude. Because when we get done with this message, I think you're going to see it in a dramatically different light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may you be glorified in us. That, Lord, our relationships with your kids are not great. Uh, Lord, we are selfish people. And sometimes, a lot of times, we embarrass you in front of the angels that we are your sheep, the people of your pasture, and you are a good shepherd. And yet, Lord, we wander the fence line trying to get away. We drink from polluted pools. And we do things that harm one another. Father, would you separate us out? Would you draw us together? Whatever is necessary. Be praised in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's zoom back to verse 17. Let's take it verse by verse. See what God has for us. He says this. Paul says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. That is code for I'm super irritated by you. You're going to find that Paul, once again, as I have shared in the past, he and I share one gifting, at least, and that is the gift of sarcasm. He's going to kind of relay his irritation in a bunch of different ways. This is one of them. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, when you gather together as a church, and indeed at that time they would meet on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, so just like today, but they would meet in the evening. We meet in the morning because we have that day off from work. A lot of the early church was poor. Many of them were slaves. And a lot of times they would work all day and then they would meet in the evening. So their church gatherings were largely at nighttime. Because when you come together, and he's going to talk specifically about 
a gathering together for communal connection. It's called a love feast. It's, it's a time when they would all have supper together and kind of have this cool, this cool dialogue and community time. And let's talk about Jesus and, and let's eat a meal together, that kind of stuff. He said, when you do that, it is not for the better. It's for the worse. Now, if you are going to church and things are worse for you, that's not awesome. Right? I, I don't think that, that you're supposed to get worse just because you came to church. Something's got to change. Verse 18, for in the first place, meaning I have a couple things that I'm going to have to correct you on, but let's talk about the first one first. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, pause, you do not come together to church. Once again, we were talking about that earlier during the prayer over the missionaries that are stepping out, which is we are the church. When this building vacates, it is not the church. The church has now gone out to go do what it's supposed to do. Uh, the church is people. It is not a building. Um, if we all went out to the parking lot right now, guess what? The church is now in the parking lot. We need to be very clear that the church is not buildings. It is that our hearts are where the Holy Spirit dwells, that we are the temple, that we are living stones being built together into being the house of God, right? I mean, this is what we're talking about. The church is never defined in the New Testament as a location or a building, and that's very significant. As a matter of fact, at this time in history, the church met in homes. Why? Because that's all they had. The church had not grown to the place where, even though Pentecost was massive, right? This is a new area. This is out here in Corinth. The church has only been around for maybe five years. And they met in homes. It was far more practical to do that. Now, in the homes that were excavated out of the area of Corinth, you kind of get a general groove on how they're organized. They would be organized by, around kind of a living space, a dining room called a triclinium. Then out from there were bedding areas. Those were not used at all. Those were places where you would sleep. But we're talking about the wealthier homes. The poor homes were far too small to house anything. Uh, the, the poorer people would have a one-bedroom place uh, or what have you. And that was kind of the idea where maybe you could house maybe six to eight people total. So those were not used for church. You'd have to go with the wealthy members of the congregation. The wealthier homes were around this triclinium where nine people in general could sit. That was kind of the furnished area, the pretty place. That would be, have the mosaics and everything would look really cool. Then there was an atrium. That was the larger portion that was out front. In some of the fancier homes, they would have like a pool of water out front to make it look nice. Out there, depending on the size of the house and the wealth of the person, you could seat anywhere between 20 and 40 people. There's not much stuff out there, so everyone can gather out there. When you gather as the church and you go into these homes of the wealthier folks, I hear that there are divisions among you. No, he's already busted them for divisions once. At the beginning of the book, he got all over their case. You remember why? They kept saying, well, I follow Peter and I follow Paul and I follow Jesus. And they had this, I, my teacher's better than yours and, and my guy's better. He's smarter than yours and my guy knows God better. And, and then they were playing all this one-upmanship, that kind of stuff. That was irritating. And Paul said, knock it off. We're all getting along. How come you're not getting along? Right? So he already got him on that. I don't think that's the divisions he's talking about. I think there were more ways that they were divided. 
And these were far more natural. When we read this stuff, you're going to look at the Corinthians and go, man, you guys are stupid. But you're going to find out they're actually just like us. Right? And here's why. Let's talk about human nature. Human nature is that we homogenize. What's homogeny? Well, it's we all come together if we're like each other. So kind of same economic strata layer, kind of same color, same culture, same this. It's our normal way of gathering. Why? Because it's easier. There's less fear of rejection. There's a million reasons why we do it. It does not reflect heaven, but it's what we do. As a matter of fact, what Jesus calls us to do is to go above and beyond that, extend outside of that, and begin to reach across those chasms and gather together for the purpose of saying we can be unified because we have Jesus as our core. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what background you're from. I don't care anything else. Do you love Jesus? Me too. Let's hang out, right? That's what we are called to do. But that is not human nature. So let's play this game a little bit. There was divisions going on, and, and let's play the scenario. Let's say Jay. Um, uh, we're going to go over to Jay's house, right? Jay and Crystal, let's say they are the wealthier uh, folks of the congregation. I'm just helping you guys out on this one. Yeah, and you're like, that's pretty far-fetched. Okay, so... <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll grab Jay and Crystal. They have us over to their house and, um, maybe Crystal gives me a call ahead of time. And she says, Hey Lance, can you and Susie come a little bit early and help us get ready for church? Right. It's a pretty normal thing to do. So Susie and I would come on over and maybe we'd gather a couple other people and we go, Hey, what, when are you guys getting there? Uh, you guys bringing this. All right, we'll bring that. All right. That's great. Right. It's just normal how you do that. So then it comes church time. We're all going to gather together for a potluck kind of concept Who's going to sit in the triclinium in the nice dining room? Well, I was there early. He's not going to say, hey, Lance, can you go ahead and sit out in the atrium so I can invite someone I don't know? What's the natural flow? Natural flow is, hey, you guys are going to hang with us, right? All right, cool. Well, you know what? We know them and we know Mark and we know Russ and we know Cindy and we know Joyce and right. We're all going to hang out together and we're all in the dining room. Everyone else is on the outside. Is that not a natural way to do it? They're not trying to be rude, but it becomes rude. So. With all these factions, let's, let's add another piece to it. We are now blending Jews and Gentiles for the first time. They normally in society do not hang out. We have slave and free. They do not hang out. But in church, we're all supposed to hang out. When you're going to go sit down somewhere, are you not going to sit next to someone you don't think you're going to be rejected by? Of course you do. I would imagine that all the Jews are going, hey, man, all my life we've been hanging out. We were in, we were in rabbi school together. I mean, we, were, we had our bar mitzvahs around the same time. So we've been hanging out together. You're my buddy. Why don't you come on over here? We now know Jesus is the Messiah. So let's spend some time together. And then the Gentiles are thinking, man, I don't want to hang out with the Jews. They always look at me weird. I always feel like I'm doing something wrong. I want to go hang out with the other Gentiles, right? That's just how it goes. Human nature. Well, all these divisions and factions began to create cliques of the haves and have-nots. It was the wealthy versus the poor. It was the Jew versus the Gentile. It was all these different things, right? He said, now I hear that there are divisions among you. You guys are separating into cliques, and I'm not cool with that. But I believe it in part, no question, it's human nature, and there are some factions that need to happen. And he turns the conversation into super spiritual. Watch this. For there must be factions, there must be group dividers among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Man, yeah, if we're going to talk about cliques, absolutely. There needs to be one massive clique called I'm really into Jesus and you're playing a game. So you know what? I'm actually cool with that divider. 
And, and I love the fact that we can find out. Because remember, their doors are wide open like our doors. Um, our doors are so open to the world that anybody, if you want to hear about Jesus, you just roll in here. Right? I don't know if you know Jesus or not. I don't know if you're hostile to Jesus or not. I don't know if you know anybody here. doesn't matter. Our doors are wide open. You're invited. In the same way, they would have that. And some people would come in, and maybe they were stirring up dissension or whatever. They all got a chance to come in. And he said, you know what? I need a clear divider on who's focused on the Lord and who's not. He said, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. They're like, no, no, no. Seriously, it is. We call it the Lord's Supper. He's like, no, no, no. You can call it anything you want. I'm just going to tell you that's not what it is. When you come together for the love feast, the agape feast, what they would do is they would have periodic times where it was kind of a, and scholars argue on this, was it a potluck? Everybody brings something and shares? Maybe, probably not likely. The normal way that the day would work is that the host would provide wine and bread. You bring your meal. Right. So everyone kind of brought their own stuff, but they're all going to hang out together. Now, it would have been nice to share. Right. That's kind of the whole point. But when they were bringing their own stuff, it wasn't exactly going like that. When he talks about the Lord's Supper, he is referring to a specific meal because the way that the ancient world worked was this breakfast was super light. Dip something, grab it, go to work, take off. Lunch was always on the go. It was, I'm working, so I'm going to eat out of the roach coach, right? That thing rolls up. You get a little taco or whatever you got. You go right back to work. It pulls away. You're always standing up, that kind of thing. The only meal that you sit down in the entire day is supper. That's the chill time. That's the, and now the sun is going down. We're all starting to slow down and they did not have all the other entertainment. So that was the time that you would hang out together and find out what's going on. You didn't want to miss supper. Supper was, we're finally going to slow down. We're going to eat a good meal. We're going to try to recharge and replenish our bodies. So what's going on in your world? what did you do today? Well, what did you guys do? And we're all hanging out together, man. What's going on on the other side of the city? You know what? I've been hearing stuff rumbling about the Roman empire. I mean, what's happening over here and that was supper he said y'all come together with this idea and they would call it the agape feast because they're really into jesus right and jesus was unselfish and he was loving and and so they would call it you know let's greet each other with a kiss and let's hang out and kumbaya and it was awesome right i mean that was kind of the idea here's what's shocking in 397 a.d the council of carthage meets together and bans all agape feasts bans all potlucks everywhere why because people are stupid and we ruin everything. There were so many abuses happening in this agape feast. Literally, agape means unselfish love focused on another person. It had gotten so out of hand because of stuff that we're about to read. The church bandit says, stop it. You're way out of line. What a drag. Now, we don't know much about supper together. We don't even do it in our own homes. I came from a single parent background. Uh, my mom worked incredibly long hours just to provide for us kids. A lot, we did not have meals around the table. I mean, a lot of times it was Del Taco on the way home, right? And then you just kind of scatter and do your thing, right? I mean, that was the majority of what I remember growing up. 
It was the idea that we were always on the run. It was always this uh, kind of, man, let's just get done. We're all exhausted. We're all tired. And there was commuting and doing this. And I, I, you know, I went to school 30 minutes away. And, and we did all this kind of stuff. So when I was growing up, that was just kind of how it went. I mean, I didn't have family dinners where we're all gathering around and talking about our day. So I meet Susie, right? My wife. And she said, hey, I'd like to have family dinners. That's what my family did. And I was like, what a waste of time. Why would you do that? Do you know how much TV we will miss if you, if there are no DVRs yet, you know, and I, and, and, and it was her desire in her heart that we would have a family tradition that we would sit around the table and talk about it. If we don't do it in our homes, how in the world are we going to do it at church? Are you kidding me? See, we don't, we don't hang together. We don't know each other. Uh, I'll talk about that in a moment, but just understand that in other communities and in other cultures, eating together was a time of connection. And we're just not good at that. It is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. You're selfish, and Jesus Christ, who we're trying to honor, did the ultimate selfless act of dying on the cross. And you want to put his name on it? No. Not going to happen. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Okay, so what's happening? Well, remember I told you that a lot of the slaves would work. And so let's say we go, hey, you guys, when do you guys want to meet for church? Let's go, I don't know, let's say 6.30. Is that cool? Everybody get off work? Yeah, 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 all right, cool. Let's all, we all go to Jay and Crystal's house. But there are folks that are slaves. Let's say Robert uh, is a slave and he can't get off work because his master doesn't let him go till seven. He rolls in church at seven and we're all done. Understand that the slaves, the only good meal they would have all week long was that agape feast. The only meal that they lived off scraps, they lived off whatever the master threw to them. And so they would finally go, man, this is going to be sweet. We're all going to hang out together. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to eat awesome. We're going to do all that. And they roll in and there's nothing but bones left. He's like, Seriously? Is this what we're doing? You're going to go ahead and eat. You're not waiting for anybody. Oh, well, all my buddies are here, so let's just go ahead and get started. Yeah, but everyone's not here yet. So you're eating, and it says some of the way that it's the languages, some scholars would argue they would even go off in clicks, and one click had a ton of food, the other click had nothing, and they would eat in the presence of the other one their own food. And you just go, man, that's rude. Now, sometimes maybe it wasn't totally intentional, but I, I was listening to the, uh, I was reading one commentary and he told the story and it just broke my heart. He said, back in the day, and we're, we're zooming back, I got the impression we were talking the 70s. He was in a very small town, Midwestern town, and where not everybody had everything, but they had the little uh, church gathering and they played the game where you throw the egg to each other, you know, that thing, where then you get a little further and further and, oh no, I broke the egg yolk. And it's just kind of a fun kids game. So they would play back and forth and he said, and he noticed that there were some young kids and they were super focused on the game. They were just like watching, and, but they looked agitated. They looked sad. And he went over and he said, what's the problem? They said, when you're done with the game, can we have them? They didn't have any food. And so the church was playing games with food, and they didn't have any food. And it's not fun to them. We're just not real good at remembering that everybody else is in a different place. You know what I mean? One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Seriously? Yeah. We're at people's homes. 
This is not, we went to a church building and we all act different there. This is, we're all hanging out with our buddies. And you're going to find out, I'm going to tell you how a Passover service goes. The Jewish people know how to bring wine. Uh, You're going to find out in a Passover meal that Jesus had, there's four cups of wine that just keep getting passed around. Now, if we're all hanging out and Jay and Chris are like, we got our wine, you guys bringing wine? Yeah, I got some. And everyone brings drinks. And then it's like, hey, it's all here. Might as well drink it. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, by the end of the night, you got Bob, who's totally loaded, yelling about Deuteronomy or something off in the corner. You know, and he's shouting hallelujah. And then you got some other guy going because he ate a ton. You know what I mean? And then and it's just chaos. And you're like, this is the Lord's Supper. I'm missing something here. I don't think so. What? You don't have houses to eat and drink in? That is a specific attack to a group in church. Why? Because no, not everyone did have houses to eat and drink in. When the majority is poor and slaves, they do not have a home. So who is he attacking? The rich. He goes, you know what? I'm not talking about them right now. You seem to be the problem. All of you that are wealthy, but you're seriously going to bring all that in here and you're going to act rude to everybody? I don't think so. Uh, you don't have homes to eat and drink? In? What do you despise the church of God? This is a joke to you that you can come and act however you want here. Is that what you're telling me? That is really about you, that the world revolves around you. That you're not coming to church to serve, you're coming to be served. Is that what I'm hearing? What, what am I going to say to you? What do you want me to say? What am I supposed to commend you for this? No, that's not going to happen. Now, let me just give a side note. Uh, uh, is there anything that we should take from this as Bridgeway, right? Um, I, have, I have a praise and a rebuke for you. Okay, and, it, and the rebuke is actually mild this time. I know usually I just try to punch you right in the face, but... This one's a little more, little more mild, because actually this is an area of praise I need to bring to you. I've got to tell you where you're doing awesome. This is a generous church. This is an over-the-top generous church. Okay? Let me give you an idea. All right, and, and this is kind of a little update, right? So we have all these kids that we need to be sponsored, right, for Uganda. And um, as a matter of fact, there's, there was 550 kids. There are 200 kids that we sponsored last year. That those folks that have sponsored them last year, those kids are being held for you. Meaning, you got to let them know if you're not responsoring them, they can put them back into the general group, but they're holding them for you. So just let them know if you're not going to sponsor them again. That's totally fine. No pressure. Let them go back. But there's 200 kids that, that need to be re-sponsored. And then there's 150 kids that are left to be sponsored out on the table, right? And you go, I don't understand the praise. You ready for this? Let me, let me blow your mind. They roll into town. These are little kids you'll never meet unless you go on a mission trip. And we currently, in the last week and a half, have given $48,900 to feed little kids that we don't know. That's pretty rocking, right? Almost 50 grand got dropped so little ones can eat. They can be housed, they can have clothes, they can be loved on, and they can be ministered to. Seriously, that's generosity. That is extreme generosity. Literally, we mentioned this thing about Malawi, and people immediately start coming in and being a part of it. This is a generous church. We understand that there are haves and have-nots, and our haves are kicking down. That's pretty awesome. So I have no rebuke for you on that. 
I have nothing but praise. Here's the mild rebuke. We have allowed our culture to dictate that we don't hang out together and we have no answers for it. We don't know each other well enough to argue. Do we have factions? I don't know. I don't even know you well enough to know what I don't like about you. I'm sure I don't like you. I just don't know why. I mean, we come to church, we go home. I don't know. I don't know. There, there's many irritating things about you. I, I'm having a hard time thinking of them, though. I don't. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, they're talking about this. They had problems in community. We don't even have community. That's sad. Because our culture has ruined us. I can just tell you this simply and honestly back to you. I don't know of any discipleship method that is utilized by God that's not involved community. Uh, if Jesus would have just had all the disciples hang out by themselves, we don't have the church. So they actually hung out together. And I, I, we got to fix it. And I don't have any answers for you. I'm still working on that one. I don't know how to go counterculture in that area. All right. Uh, pick it up in verse 23. For I received from the Lord... And nobody knows, did, did Jesus tell Paul that personally? Hey, this is how I want you to run communion. This is kind of what happened, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Or did he get it from Peter when he hung out with him for 15 days? I don't know. But somehow he learned it. He said, and I already told you guys this. I delivered it to you before. Um, but I'm going to tell you again that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, uh, betrayed is a bad translation. Here's why. You go, no, no, no. He's talking about Judas and Judas totally betrayed him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually means handed over. And you go, I don't get it. So what's the difference? Because that same phrase is used of the father doing it to the son. The father did not betray the son. Uh, remember, Judas did not get Jesus arrested. The son and the father in conjunction completely agreed that he would be arrested. Jesus said, I lay down my life. I take it up. Nobody arrests me. Do you understand? Even when they came to arrest him, they said, uh, we're looking for, he said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And they all fell down and hit the deck. He's like, see, you don't arrest me. When I say you can put the cuffs on, then we're going. Do you understand? He was not, even though he was betrayed by Judas, his buddy, that does not mean that Judas won that. Jesus went to the cross on purpose. Make sense? Now, let's talk about this for a moment. We have a famous picture of this night, right? It's the whole, it's called the last what? Supper. That's that evening meal they actually were having whether scholars argue about it or not well john's a little bit different than the synoptic gospels and blah 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 nobody cares <laughs> it was a passover celebration they were celebrating passover so they're having a seder anybody been a part of a seder okay well you know what there's a bunch of different ways to have it in this area of the world does it this way in this area does let me kind of go through it real quick on what this is all about and how it works with a seder that you would all gather together once a year and you would talk about the passover it was this idea that we got to tell the story of when egypt uh, had it, the hebrews under bondage and moses came in and he's like let my people go and he's like no and then there was like plagues raining down and all remember all that yeah that story so they wanted to talk about that. You know, the angel of death sweeps through and they put the blood on the mantle and it passes over them. And wow, it's called Passover. And right. I mean, all this stuff. So this is how it would work. You all gather together, usually as a family unit or buddies or friends or whatever. Jesus is with his disciples and you bring out the first cup. You pour the first cup of wine and you pass it around. And there's four cups of wine in the meal. The first, they all talk about four different natures of God or four different pieces of his deliverance. The first one is, I will bring you out. 
I will free you is the idea. I just spit on myself. I will free you. Right. And there, when they passed this wine around, it was communal, meaning that everyone drank from the same cup. We can't do that here as it gets towards the bottom. Nobody wants to drink it anymore. You know, it's one of those things. But this is friends. This is smaller stuff, right? So they pass the cup around. Then they wash their hands. Then they dip celery or parsley in salt water. Why? To remember the tears shed by the Hebrews in captivity. They then eat that. And there are three matzah uh, unleavened bread kind of cracker bread things they put they put three of them in a stack they remove the middle one they break it the bigger portion they wrap up and hide away they take the other portions and distribute it out to the people um then it's called the poor man's bread the bread of affliction then they talk about the message of passover which i just told you and they actually have an invitation even though their door is closed no one can hear them they say come all who are hungry come to the table and eat and you think about, oh man, Jesus did that whole come to me, all you who are thirsty. And oh, that's kind of a cool tie in, right? Hopefully I get, I would hope that you understand how powerful this is. If Jesus does this with his disciples and you're like, oh my gosh, all this is totally about you, right? That's kind of the point. Then you give the message about the Passover and then you ask four questions. It's four questions. Now it used to be five questions of the youngest member. You ask questions. Why are we eating unleavened bread tonight? And the answer is because we were in a rush, we were in a hurry, and we didn't have time for the bread to rise. All right, cool. Second one, why do we eat bitter herbs? The answer is because slavery is bitter. Third question, why do we dip our foods even twice? Because we are to replace the tears with gratefulness and the sweetening of our burden by God. And then you go, why are we eating this meal reclining and not standing up? Because it is now the posture of a free person. We are no longer slaves. And then you, the fifth question that was removed later on because of the destruction of the temple in AD 70 was, why do we roast the lamb? And the answer was, because that's how they do it in the temple. Make sense? Then they do this little role play. There are four sons of Israel, one's super smart, one's dumb, what isn't, you know, that kind of thing. And he says, what has God asked of us? And the answer is, to fulfill his laws. What does this meal mean to you? And the response is, because it's personal to me. God rescued me from Egypt. He was with me when I left, even though they weren't there. Uh, what's it all about? The Almighty let us out. And the last son who doesn't know what to ask, everyone says, it's about what God did for us. And they have a Bible study of four verses. And the Hebrew people became numerous in Egypt. And Egypt treated them badly. We cried out to God and he heard us. And he set us free. Then it, they talk about the ten plagues. They have kind of a little cool thing there. And then half a hymn is sung. They're praising God. Then the second cup of wine is passed around. That is the wine of I will deliver. Then they wash their hands. They do a blessing. Who will rescue us from danger? Then they go get the other matzo piece that they had wrapped up. And there's a whole cool thing about that. It's hidden. And you go, I think that's the body in the tomb. Whatever. All right, that's cool. They pull that out and they break it out. And they have it. And then it says they eat two more bitter herbs. Horseradish or romaine lettuce root either way it's supposed to be nasty they dip that in fruit sauce because that is how the covering of their bitterness and then they put it in the matzo bread into a little sandwich style they eat that too and then they eat the whole meal the roasted lamb meal that's like the sit down let's talk about stuff for a while then they grab it finish with the bread the third cup of wine is passed around with a prayer and this is a cup that has two meanings I will redeem my people and I am a blessing. That is the cup that Jesus used for communion. So understand, there's a long process before he ever got there. Bread way up here, wine way down here. Lots of time in between, all right? 
Then, for some traditions, they will go and open the front door. Why? Because they're inviting Elijah to come in. Why does Elijah need to come in? Because he's the prophet that's going to announce the Messiah is going to arrive. Sometimes they'll leave a chair open for Elijah, stuff like that. And isn't that ironic that they would all do this as kids? Now they're all sitting with Jesus and they go, can somebody open the door? And they're like, why? So Elijah can come in. John the Baptist already told us that he's right here. Okay, we'll leave the door shut. Powerful, yeah? They saw it fulfilled right in their, right in their presence. They finish up the hymn, they praise God, they cite a psalm, fourth cup of wine is passed around. The fourth cup of wine is about the coming kingdom. And they drink it immediately before they leave because they don't drive. <laughs> this cup is, I will take you home. And the early church, when they were done with all of that, they would say, Maranatha. What does that mean? It means, come, Lord, come quickly, because it talks about his return, right? Now, understand, it is that third cup, the cup of redemption, the cup of blessing that Jesus grabbed. It says this, and he took bread in the beginning of the meal. The core provision of life, the new manna, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna, heavenly bread, remember? But they died. You eat of me, you'll never die. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, that's what all Jews would do. They'd lift it up and say, Father, thank you for this. Jesus did that. And he broke the bread. Why? Be very careful on this one. Because the language matters. I'm a stickler on this stuff. Do not say, here is my body broken for you. That's not what the Bible says. The best manuscripts do not have that in there. Please don't say that. That's not why he broke it. He broke it for what? To distribute. The Gospels actually indicate that he handed it out to the disciples. Remember when he fed the the 5,000, he would distribute. The idea was, I am here for you. I'm giving out to you. Do not say... This is my body broken for you. Why? Because it is a prophecy of the Old Testament that none of the bones of Jesus would be broken, which is what they would always do with someone hanging on the cross. But to signify he's the Messiah, his bones were not broken. Be very careful on that one, right? Now, symbolically, was his body broken for us? Yeah, sure. But be careful on that one, all right? He said, and what you're about to read is stunning, but not why you think. This is my body. They're like, but you're in your body. He's like, I know, it's a deep spiritual concept. This is my body, which is for you. He didn't come to be served, he came to serve. This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Why is that so stunning? You ready? Here's why. It's the first recorded, recorded words of Jesus in writing anywhere. Why? It was written before the Gospels. The Gospels wrote after this. So the first recorded words of Jesus you just read in all of history. Amazing. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. What? After supper, way later, we always do the little, hey, I have a little miniature glass that's fit for no one. Oh, my gosh, I have a little cracker thing. I don't know what to do with it. Every time I put it in, it just lodges in my cavity. And I go, for the rest of the time, and I'm trying to wash it down. It doesn't work. That's not what they did. They did a whole meal, right? Saying this cup, the cup of redemption and blessing, this cup is now being celebrated as the new covenant that was by the blood of bulls and goats, the blood of animal sacrifice. It is now the new covenant in my blood. The lamb of God has been sacrificed for us. 
Do this. Eat a special communion meal together as often as you drink it. Whatever you do, it doesn't matter. There's no specified times given in remembrance of me. Be with me intensely. Go back to the place with me. Understand what I have done for you. Relive that moment. Understand how much I love you. Feel my grace. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, whenever you do, you proclaim to believers and unbelievers my death. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes back. It's not just about his death. It's about his return. Okay. Let me say this before we move on. And I understand that we're, we're wrapping this thing up. I'm going to go through the rest really fast. But this is what I will not pass by. I'm not all right. As the shepherd of this church. That any would not be saved here. Seriously. We're going to go through. And we're going to eat bread. And drink about Jesus dying for us. Spilling his blood for us, rescuing us, giving us grace and not rules and regulations. The cleansing that there is now freedom for people. He said, would all that would come, you will be saved. Call upon my name. Come to me. Repent of who you are. You know you're wicked. Don't play a game with me like you're going to save yourself. You know that's not right. I want you to fall before me. I want you to tell me, Lord, I need you. I need you desperately. How in the world are we going to have communion and and have people sitting with us that we love, that we cherish, that don't know that truth, that have not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior? If that is you, hear, hear my words. You must be saved. There is no other way. You cannot live one more day without Jesus. That's a fact. How are you going to do that? You don't need me. Right where you're sitting, here's what you're going to do. From now on, you're going to block me out. And you're going to have time with Jesus. And what you're going to do is you're going to own who you are. And you're going to say, God, rescue me. Because I'm wrong. I can't save myself. I'm lost here. I need my sins cleansed. I need to be forgiven. God, rescue me. You cry out in your own heart, in your own seat. Save me, Jesus. Because guess what? If that is your heart, he loves you so much. He'll come flying in so fast. And this blood that we're talking about can wash you. And though your sins be as scarlet, you're stained. He makes them whiter than snow. You cannot go one more day without Jesus. Verse 27. Let me talk to everyone else. He's talking to believers. Ready to get your world rocked? Let's close with this. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty, responsible for, concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person then examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats or drinks without discerning the body, that's a key word, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some of you have died. Uh, what did he just say? He said, you do this wrong, I'll kill you. You want to know what that means? Yeah, it's kind of important. What does it mean to eat in an unworthy manner? Because I, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what I was taught growing up. I mean, it was always this whole thing of, if you've got sin in your life, dude, you better examine it right now. Because if you have any sin in your life and you eat communion, you're going to die. I was like, ah, oh, it's a lot of pressure. I don't know if I know all the sin I've done. That's not what it means. No one is worthy to eat except for Jesus making you holy. You understand? This is not about are you good enough to eat. That's not what it means. 
It also doesn't even mean believer versus non-believer, although that's implied. Understand, here's the problem. If you don't know Jesus and you're eating something that says, Jesus came and died for me and without him I'm going to hell, ultimately you just ate and drank something that is going to condemn you. That doesn't make any sense at all. Why would you do that? Why do we not then say, if you're a non-believer, you can't have any? Why do we have an open table here? Because it sounds kind of weird. Here's why. What a beautiful time to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. How about right now? How about when we do that? We just told you the gospel. We just told you Jesus died for you. We just told you that he's ready to rescue you. So when we hand you elements, you would go, I need Jesus. That's why we don't close the table. Here's what it means in context. If you try to do this without considering the body, who's the body? Welcome. If you seriously think you can roll in and eat the bread and drink the blood of Jesus Christ and you are horribly nasty to people around you and you think God's going to let you get away with that, that's not going to happen. It's how you treat other people around you. You better watch your relationships. You better walk in here and you don't get to be whoever you want to be and as nasty as you want to be. That doesn't happen. You come in here, you take it seriously, we do this. And if you have someone that you have just slaughtered sitting down the aisle from you, you might need to step out for a second and figure out your heart because you don't get to act towards other people and then pretend with Jesus. He said, you know what? I will make you weak. I will make you sick. And you know what? I'll kill you. He's talking to Christians. He go, he wouldn't do that. Ananias and Sapphira. They came and brought money before. They said, is this all of it? Uh, yeah. No, it's not. Oh, look, you died. Hey, your spouse just showed up. Hey, is this all the money? Nope. Oh, you're dead too. And Jesus will just, I'll just shut you all down. You go, that's horrible. How could Jesus do that? Because death doesn't mean death. To the believer, it means get in my office. We're going to talk. I'll kill you right now. You're going to mess with me? You're going to play games with me? We'll go to eternity right now that's discipline what is the purpose of it check, check it out it says right here he said but if we judged ourselves truly how about a little self-maintenance if you figure it out and you repent to him he doesn't have to judge you if we judge ourselves truly we will not be judged but when we are judged by the lord we are disciplined that is temporary so that we will not be condemned eternally along with the world so then my brothers after this whole message, tell me how ironic this word is. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, how about waiting for each other? I mean, that was a pretty heavy message. They're like, yes, sir. If anyone is hungry, why don't you eat at home? So that when you come together, it won't be for judgment. Oh, about the other things, I'll give you directions when I come. Oh, man. Whew. Listen, we're going to close in prayer, and we have this awesome video to tell you what I need you to do. We have a closing challenge for you. Let me say this. It breaks my heart that many of us come into church with the attitude that, man, I can't wait to get to church so I can spend the first 30 minutes while Jake is playing music and I get my head right. You just wasted 30 minutes that you could have been praising Jesus. How about we arrive ready? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Be glorified in us. That, Lord, we love you. We are not treating everybody rightly. And we are sorry. And Father, may you build us into a community 
And then we would maintain the unity and kindness of that community. Show us what it is to love in Jesus' name.